This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Jamie will be taking us back to Acts 21. Acts 21, 1 through 16. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to be unloaded, uh, to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went into Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason, of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Thank you, Linnea. By the way, Linnea's been doing a fantastic job on staff at our church. Let's give her some thanks for that, if you would. She deserved a lot more enthusiastic thanks than that, by the way, just so you know. Hey, so we had a cool day yesterday. We had a chance to go check out uh, Notre Dame Stadium and to watch a live Notre Dame game. Um, I've only done that a couple times in my life, and it's you know one of those rare, cool things you get to do. So the mother-in-law gave the entire family an early Christmas present, took the whole extended family. We all, of course, sat together, and a beautiful day, walked around. One of the things about Notre Dame, you may not be a Notre Dame fan. Well, of course you are. What am I saying? We're all Notre Dame fans. Can I get a witness? All right, not so enthusiastic. But one of the things you can't deny is that walking around the campus of Notre Dame, it is just absolutely packed with tradition and history and stories. And one of the stories that uh, Courtney and I love is the story of Rudy Rudiger. You probably heard the story of Rudy. Uh, here's a, it was a, a 
high school football student that really wasn't all that talented at football, wasn't a great um, player, but he grew up watching Notre Dame, loved Notre Dame, and determined that he was going to be, uh, he was going to play for Notre Dame. And so he goes and has to get better grades, so he goes to a different college for a while. And if you know the story, not only did he make it on the team, but he ended up uh, suiting to play a game, and then he got put in the game when the crowd was all chanting, Rudy, Rudy, right? And he ends up making a sack and all of that. Well, a model of determination, a model of never give up, a model of being absolutely undaunted. And we're looking at the Apostle Paul on his way to Jerusalem and started a sermon last week that we're titling Undaunted because Paul is undaunted in the proclamation of the gospel. He says this in Acts 20, 22 through 24, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, that's important to note, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He was passionate and undaunted about living on the mission of the gospel. And that's my challenge to you last week and this week. Let's be undaunted in our drive for the mission of the gospel. And we're going to address over the course of these two weeks three convictions you'll need to have. I covered two last week. I will be undaunted through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul said that he was constrained by the Spirit. And there's some question here in this text is if Paul is really following the Spirit because it also says in 21.4 that through the Spirit, they were telling him not to go. And we'll get to that in a minute. But he was convinced the Holy Spirit was leading him to Jerusalem, which brings up the question for us in today, how do we know when the Spirit is leading us? How do we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit? And we saw last week, it's unquestionable that the Holy Spirit leads his sons. All that are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, Romans says. But what does that look like? Well, Jesus already told us in John 14, and we were spending some time checking out John 14, 26, which says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I've said to you. It's been cool seeing how often this has come up this week as people have shared stories of the verses that they memorized or studied, and then in just the right moment, they'll just come to mind. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit. So anything that you have learned from the Word of God, you have learned through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as you remember those things, that's a ministry, and it's the leading of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit leads primarily, we believe, through His Word. And so therefore, we know that we too are called to the mission of the gospel. Here's 1 Peter 2, which says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Here it is now, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's awesome. We're called to proclaim his excellencies, his mercy, the fact that we were brought out of darkness into light. So yeah, you've been called to the ministry of the gospel. You've been called to proclaim the gospel. But what does that look like? How many of you guys lived this week? (laughs) 
All of us lived a life this week. Y'all did stuff. Y'all did things. And, and I did. You know, I got a job. I come into the office every week, and I work. And how often did we think about the mission of the gospel? If we're going to be real, it's like, okay, we, I know that. I get it. But how do we really do it? Well, today I'm really going to try to get in, give you some massively practical help and what I mean. So hang on, we'll get there. Uh, so we looked at that. Let's look at this now as well. So last week we also saw we need the help of, of believers. So I'll be undaunted through the leading of the Holy Spirit with the help uh, from other believers. And Paul needed some logistical help, needed some help just getting places, you know, and lodging and food and all of that. And he needed some spiritual help, some spiritual encouragement, and we need one another as well. But here's what I'm going to start out this week with in going on to the last point uh, of this sermon, which we'll cover in three sub points, but here it is. Uh, conquering the temptations to give up. Conquering the temptations to give up. Paul faced some massive obstacles as he was getting his way to Jerusalem. So I want to talk about some of these, uh, if we will. Let's talk about, first of all, the logistical obstacles, the logistical obstacles. So uh, I'll let you write that word down, the logistical obstacles of getting the gospel out. So we're talking about now, how do we get the gospel out? How do we live on mission? Well, let's look at some of the logistical things that Paul had to overcome, because they're actually quite extensive. So here again is the trip. Here's the map. And uh, going from Miletus, where he was, and he met the Ephesian elders, so Miletus, all the way over to Tyre. And you see, it's quite the long journey. And uh, how, I mean, that's a lot of ships to get on, a lot of uh, you know, transports into other places. And, and how, who arranged all that? Who figured all that out? There's a lot to them. You're thinking about it for a minute. Put yourself there with Paul in the moment of figuring out how we're going to get down to Jerusalem. We're over here at Miletus. How do we get to there? And someone had to book the travel, all of that. And, and it was hard, hard work back then. I mean, this week I was sitting writing the sermon at Utopia Coffee. And um, to park, you know, they have these parking now under the train bridges. So you go and you pull out your phone and you scan the QR code and you put everything up there. So I'm sitting there drinking coffee at Utopia and Craig Crook walks in because he you know, works uh, above there. And I'm like, hey, Craig, hey, hey, we should grab lunch today. Yeah, we should grab lunch. Oh, wait, I didn't pay for parking through lunch. Easy enough. Pull my phone out, hit a few buttons, change the time. Boom, we're good to go. Paul didn't have any of those luxuries. Paul had to figure out what ships were going where and when and how to get on them and how to book travel. And there was a massive amount of logistical things to get over. So there was planning involved. There was planning involved. Listen, there was money involved. These weren't free uh, trips on the ships. Someone had to pay for them. And uh, yes, Paul took offerings from all the churches, but if you read through the epistles, a lot of those offerings went to help other churches who were in desperate need. So Paul probably paid for most of this out of his own pocket with the money he earned as a tent maker. And I can back that up with scripture. He says, I don't want to be a burden to anybody, and that's why I labored so hard with my hands. He probably out of his own pocket purchased a lot of these things. There's finances involved. And again, maybe reading in a little bit to the text, but there's patience involved. Have you ever, anyone here travel? Anyone here ever been delayed on a flight? 
Uh, there was one time we're flying from uh, Minnesota. We're living in Minnesota at the time. We're actually heading to Courtney's home in Goshen, and we're flying there. And uh, we got delayed in Detroit for 12 hours. Now, I love my wife, and I think she's beautiful. But at the end of that 12 hours, we were both saying, I'm kind of sick of your face right now. <laughs> and you got to have patience when you travel. You all these things that go into it. Okay, so now, how does all this apply to us today? Why are you sharing all these things? Listen to me. We will not just float into proclaiming and living on the mission of the gospel. You're not just going to fall into this by accident. So I stand up here and week to week, and now for two years, we'll be in Acts for a little more than two years when we're finished. Uh, and you be praying about where we're going to go. We got some ideas, and we're excited about what we may be doing next. But like, if we do what we think we might do, it'll be like 10 years worth of sermon uh, planning that we've already done. Anyway, we'll get to there later. But uh, um, we've been in Acts for a long time, which is super exciting and super cool. But I've been saying now over and over again, live on mission, live on mission, live on mission, live on mission. Maybe you're feeling a little guilty this morning that I'm just not living on mission like I should. What we use the word strategic when we talk about outreach, strategic outreach, because you have to have a strategy to the outreach. And so today, at the end of the sermon, we're going to put a tool in your hand to help you figure out, okay, we have some planning involved. So how do we plan to do personal evangelism? How do we make a plan to actually reach somebody for Christ? It's going to take finances and resources. I think a big part of that is just doing acts of love for our neighbors. Right now, my neighbor has my car. And there's a little bit of a resource risk because he needed it. And he called and said, hey, I'm out of car. You guys can have an extra one. Can I borrow yours? Absolutely. Here, take it. And there's a risk involved with that because I want to reach him for Christ. I need to be showing actual, it means having people over to your house, which might mean uh, extra food for a dinner. And right now, it's almost as expensive to eat at a grocery store as it is as eat at a restaurant. I mean, it's like crazy expensive anymore. And it's going to take some resources to do that. And it's going to take patience. We would love it. You know, like we missionaries come and they share stories about how they're leading all these people to Jesus. And then we kind of live our life. And we're like, I don't see that in my life. Well, maybe it takes a little more patience here in America, but it takes patience and perseverance and staying with it. And sometimes you'll, you'll invest and love and love and someone will get close and then they'll decide they don't want it and they'll get away. And then you'll have to keep pursuing and all those things are true. And if we're going to be on mission, we need all those things. But here's kind of the, the, the main point I want to make with all of this. So you got these logistical obstacles that you have to face. I think sometimes we will let logistical obstacles get in the way of our evangelism because we think that it's God's will that we don't share because things are hard. So, so you know, we talk about God's will and determining God's will. I have five steps. I've, I've done them a lot, but I'll just go over them really quickly. Step number one is to go to God's word specifically. So if I'm going to talk about finding a wife, I'm going to talk about making a major purchase, I'm going to talk about whatever, uh, what should I do as a husband, uh, I'm going to go to the passages to talk about that first. Number two is to go to general passages. So, so God's word specific, God's word general, step number two. And that would be like, okay, what are some other principles that may not be specific to my thing, but will apply? Do all for the glory of God would be an example. Be a, don't be a stumbling block to your brother would be an example. Just general things that apply. 
Number three is to get godly counsel. So God's word specific, God's word general. Number three, God's uh, or godly counsel. So talk to people that you know who know the word of God. Maybe they can point other things out to you. The third step is consider your circumstances. Because sometimes God can shut doors with circumstances, right? He can do that sometimes. And then number five, if all things are equal, make a choice. Now, there's a whole video we have online about that. Maybe we'll post it somewhere for you to see this week. It's going into more detail about all the things. But here's my point with all that. Of the ways to determine God's word, circumstances is kind of the last thing you consider. So God's word specifically, has he told us to share the gospel? Yes. God's word general, does it bring God glory to share the gospel? Yes. Okay. Godly counsel, as your pastor, can I just say to you, go preach the gospel? So there's that, check. I don't know if it's godly counsel, but at least pastoral counsel. Uh, And then uh, circumstances, don't let little things get in the way. Keep at it. Keep pressing in. Get there. You'll see God do some great things through all of that. All right. Letter B. So we're talking about then logistical obstacles that might get in the way. What are some, we're going to conquer these temptations to give up. Conquer the temptations to give up. Uh, here's, here's another one. Let's talk about the prospect of suffering. So we have logistical obstacles. And then the prospect of suffering. If we can just glance back at Acts 20, we've been kind of camping out here a little bit too because Paul says a lot, but here's Acts 20, 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So the Holy Spirit said two things to Paul. Thing number one, go to Jerusalem. And thing number two, you're going to suffer while you go to Jerusalem. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be constrained. And the Holy Spirit testifies to those things. Preach the gospel, but also you're going to suffer for it. Wait, wait, hold on. Suffer? Okay, I'm out. That's it. And I get it. I mean, no one likes to suffer. No one looks to get into trials. We all want easy. We all want comfort. And I believe uh, today, more than ever, we are in a world that is adverse to suffering. Today, more than ever, we live in a world adverse to suffering. In fact, man, we have redefined the idea of what suffering is. So this was in a uh, Huffington uh, Post, and no, I don't subscribe or read that normally, but this was a good illustration. And so here is, uh, this, this was a little clip from that, uh, an article, and he said this. This is uh, talking about a 27-year-old man. He said this, I tried to register for the election, but it was beyond the deadline by the time I tried to do it. A man named Tim, age 27, explained to New York Magazine last fall, I hate mailing stuff. It gives me anxiety. Hold on, read that again. I hate mailing stuff. It gives me anxiety, okay? Tim was outlining the reasons why he, like 11 other millennials interviewed by the magazine, probably wouldn't vote in the midterm election. The amount of work of logistically, or logically isn't that much, he continued, filling out a form, mailing it, go to a specific place on a specific day. But those kinds of tasks can be hard for me to do if I'm that enthusiastic about it. 
Okay. There is a term out there today. It's kind of a new term, and uh, you know we use it a lot, and I see it a lot on social media. The term is adulting. And what adulting means is adulting is like I gotta do stuff that adults do. So I gotta like go to work, and I gotta like pay the bills, and I gotta like mow the lawn. That's what we call life. <laughs> Normal life. And praise God you got a job. And praise God you can pay the bills. And praise God you have a lawn you can mow. And adulting has now become suffering, but adulting is just living. I just feel like we all need this word today because I think this is, um, well, I hope, I hope it's helpful to you. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Can you all say this with me? Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Let's do it one more time. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. There's a lot of things that are hard. And some, listen now, some of the hardest things that you face in your life are going to be the things that grow you the most. So Paul said in Romans chapter 5, that only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, not knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We have growth that happens, endurance-producing character, character-producing hope. It all comes through suffering. And catch this. This will blow your mind. This is talking about Jesus from Hebrews chapter 5. He said this, Although he, Jesus, was the Son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. I mean, come on. Jesus Christ had to suffer to learn and to grow. So listen, church, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. And oftentimes, the hardest things are the things we need the most. And we looked at it last week. You are guaranteed to suffer and to be persecuted if you live godly in Christ Jesus. But man, if a little temporary suffering this side of heaven can bring eternity to someone in heaven, well, I'm going to do that then. My little bit of suffering on this side is so much worth their eternity in heaven. And why would I be adverse to experiencing some hardship if that person knows and believes the gospel through that hardship? So yeah, let's not let the prospect of suffering keep us from proclaiming the gospel. Here's another one. So logistical obstacles can get in the way of our proclaiming the gospel. The prospect of suffering can get in the way of our proclaiming the gospel. And then so can this. Here, here's the opinions of others, the opinions of others. And this is literally all over this text. So I want to go back and I want to take a look at this together once you get that written down, the opinions of others. All throughout his journey, Paul's closest friends are saying, dude, give up. Let me show you. We looked at this a little bit last week, but go back to just verse 1 of 21. And I mentioned this last week, that word parted. And we all, when we all had parted from them, that word parted again in the Greek is really, is really um, 
strong to say it was like tearing away from people. You, you felt this. You've had people you love to be with and you love to be around and you have to leave. And you're like, I don't want to leave. Putting my dad on the plane to Alaska last month was like, oh, it's tearing me apart just to do this. But I know it's best for him, so that's what we're doing. But, but they were sad and, and, and weeping in the end of verse uh, chapter 20 because Paul was leaving them. But it happens all throughout this. In fact, take a look at... Um, uh, 21.4. And this is confusing, so I want to spend some time helping you understand what's going on here. So here's uh, 21 verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So what's going on here? Because Paul said in 20, we saw he was constrained by the Spirit. But here it says that through the Spirit, they were telling him not to go. Well, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture and sometimes kind of get your head around what probably happened so that it, we know that Scripture does not... Um, contradict itself. So what's going on? Well, probably what was happening is these guys were through the Spirit getting the prophecy, because Paul said it's been happening to him every single city he goes to. It's been testified that you're going to suffer. So they got the, the, uh, the, the prophecy right that Paul's going to suffer, but probably they interpreted a little bit wrongly, and the prophecy was through the Spirit. And, and what we do know is they didn't give him a command. They probably gave him a warning. It was probably less of a command than it was a warning. Uh, through the spirit they were saying don't go to Jerusalem unless you're willing to suffer for it. In fact, this is what uh, Albert Barnes says about the text. It is to be understood, therefore, simply as an inspired prophetic warning that if he went, he went at risk of his own life. A prophetic warning joined with their individual personal wishes that he would not expose himself to this danger. The meaning evidently is that they said by inspiration of the Spirit, they should not go unless he was willing to encounter danger, for they foresaw that the journey would be uh, attended with the hazard of his life. And verse number five reveals, check this out, verse number five reveals that there was a prayer by the beach. And kneeling down, it says, on the beach, we prayed. I wonder what that prayer was like. Do you ever have anybody who uh, preaches when they pray? I do this all the time. I preach when I pray. You know, if I'm around somebody, dear Lord, please just guide us. And we make some pretty bad decisions sometimes, Lord. Would you just guide us? You know, decisions like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you're preaching while you're praying. And I wonder if that prayer was kind of like that. Kind of like, dear Lord, even sometimes leaders can get your will wrong. <laughs> Keep him from doing, you know, who knows what it was. But they prayed with Paul at the beach. And then we have this happening in verse number 21. So chapter 21, verse number 10. Take a look at this. So while we were staying, this is 2110, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judah and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the one who owns this belt and deliver him to the hand of the Gentiles. So get this. So let's say that um, Wayne is Paul. Wayne, would you come here for a second? Thank you, bud. And Wayne is Paul and I am Agabus. Um, what kind of belt do you have on there? Okay, <laughs> I'm not taking that off. <laughs> I might get punched. But back in that day, they would wear a, uh, a long, kind of wider belt that would kind of sash everything together, kind of more like a big robe belt, if you know what that's talking about. So what Agabus does is he removes Paul's belt, and he binds his own hands and feet like this. And he must have said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this will happen to the owner of this belt. And so that's a very like, dramatic Thank you so much. It's like 
Agabus, dude, calm down, drama queen. Like, what's going on? And just big display trying to keep Paul from going to Jerusalem. So all of this pressure for Paul to give up and to not go to Jerusalem. So look at verse number 12. And how did, what do we see here in verse number 12? Check this out. When we, now this is Luke writing, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. So now it's his companion. It's the author of Acts and Luke that's joining in saying, Paul, don't go. Massive pressure from those who love him the most. Verse number 12, though. I'm sorry, verse number 13. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus, undaunted even in the opinions of others. So can we get real and talk a bit this morning about us and the opinions of others? We all care what people think. Oh, no, I don't, Pastor. No, I think we do. And in my counseling room, it's become really evident, and I've been praying about this. I want to explain this just right. Um, I think all of us kind of live, because we've watched so many movies, we kind of lived imagining our life is kind of like a movie. And people are watching us all the time. And we're kind of always performing for the ambiguous they that's out there. What will they think? What do they want me to do? As if our life is kind of on some display. Are people really thinking about you all that much? This came up on social media a while ago. I thought it was really good. It says this. When you're 20, you care what people, what everyone thinks. When you're 40, you stop caring what everyone thinks. When you're 60, you realize no one was ever thinking about you in the first place. I think it's probably true. But nowadays, man, nowadays we got social media. And my kids are in that generation that just grew up on social media. They've only known. Now, we held that off to our kids for a long time. We waited until we thought they were ready for all of that. But most kids today have, what are they now, TikTok and Instagram. I'll start listening to them. They'll be like, oh, those are so old, Pastor. But anyway, whatever the case. Like, but, but, this, but they really do. I mean, like they... they all of our, and probably you too. So much of your life is just put out there on posts on some platform, and so much of what you do is literally on display for the world to see. And so it's very intense, and so we all kind of walk around feeling like our lives are on display. And it's gotten very damaging. I was reading, uh, I'm teaching this weekend at a youth conference, and I was reading these articles about anxiety in kids today. There's a couple of statistics. It may be a slide or two ahead, I'm a little out of order here. But there's a statistic that says every, there it is, according to the National Institute of Health, nearly one out of three of all adolescents age 18, or 13 to 18 will experience an anxiety disorder. Check that out. One out of every three 
age 13 to 18 will experience an anxiety disorder. In other words, they'll be diagnosed by a clinician that they need some medication to help out their anxiety disorder. So that's a lot. I would say then that that kind of translates out to about 90 to 95% of adolescents are probably having some sort of anxiety every day. These stats combined with the rate of hospital admissions for suicidal teenagers also doubling over the past decade leaves us with some many concerning questions. Because I think we care a great deal about what other people think, and we really believe we are on display. Did you guys, um, a couple of weeks ago I shared... Uh, the kind of the church and its view of the homosexuality thing. Kind of we shared all that. And do you guys notice that in 2020, everything dropped a little bit? And some people have come and say, why did it drop in 2020? Like, like it seemed to go back in the right direction in 2020, but then it would shot back up again afterwards. Well, during 2020, most of it, or they, who was president? So the most of the world or most of America was more conservative or was it felt that way? And people believed that way? So they just kind of thought, well, okay, if everyone else is conservative, maybe I'm conservative too. And so those numbers dropped a little bit, probably because of that, because we care so much about what people think. We don't have our own opinions. We just care about what other people think, and we'll think that way too. And so when you talk then about sharing a message that is so presses against what culture believes and puts me out there and judges other people like the thought of that is so scary and Paul has some encouragement for us some words to think through he said this in Galatians 1.10 for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I think it's important for us to remember that our time on earth is so short compared to eternity that we have awaiting us. It's hard to remember that. But even in the Psalms and Proverbs, it says to count your days and to gain a heart of wisdom, to number your days. And we, there's this a short time that we have here on earth. And we have eternity with God in heaven. Let's not live for this short time. Let's live to please our God. All right, my challenge is for you to be undaunted in your approach to ministry. And I've been saying all along, okay, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. But how in the world are we going to do it? Okay, you talk about being strategic about it and having a plan to share the gospel. What does that plan look like? Well, I'm going to put a tool in your hand again. It's one that we have uh, brought you to before. I want to bring you back to it again this morning, and we can talk about it as a church this morning. So uh, if uh, can I get my ushers and get a stack of those tools um, we have changed the name of this tool because it's kind of been the running joke in the office. We have no idea what this thing is called because we can't remember it. So it's either been the Display Christ or the, the Reach My Neighbor tool. Or So here's the actual official name now, okay? It is the Personal Strategic Outreach Tool. Everyone say that. 
personal strategic outreach tool. One more time, personal strategic outreach tool. So now, if you, I got the ushers here with physical copies of these tools. You may have it. It's the same thing, just renamed. So if you already have the Display Christ Neighbor Plan, you're fine. But if you don't have a copy of this, would you lift your hand up? The other thing that we'll do, thank you, and we're going to have the ushers hand this to you. And here's a digital version. So if you put the QR code on the screen for me, Landon. Uh, so this is a digital version. If you want to pull your phone out, snap a picture of this, it'll lead you to a digital PDF of the same document. But I want to put something in your hand because, listen, it's not fair for me to get up here and to pound you to say, preach Jesus, be on mission, preach Jesus, be on mission, but not help you actually do it. It is one thing to know. It's something entirely else to do. And so I want to help us to actually live this out. Because I'm quite confident. Oh, there's also a QR code on your bulletin. So if you didn't get this, there's a QR code in the bulletin as well. Linnea rocked it out and put that there at the bottom of the, the sermon notes. And you'll be able to get on it to see this tool. So everyone gets some kind of copy in front of you. Let me walk you through how this thing works. And I want you to first of all turn to the table of contents, the table of contents. And you're going to see we have this broken down for five different neighbors, okay? In fact, on page three where it says my neighbors, uh, those are just five people to choose. So it doesn't have to be your physical neighbor, okay? It doesn't have to be that. It just has to be someone who you're going to make, in, you're going to intentionally reach out to, to win them to Christ. So some unbeliever in your life that you want to win them to Jesus, how are we going to do that? We're going to use this tool to do it, and you're going to pick five people. Well, I don't have five people. Great, pick three. I don't got three. All right, pick two. I don't have two. Pick one. You got somebody. Quit arguing with me. Just do it. So you're going to pick a neighbor, and here's what you're going to do. Four steps. Contact, care, communicate, continue. Contact, care, communicate, continue. And each neighbor is broken down the same way. So let's look at just neighbor one, and I got a little neighbor one page here, so a little something like this, and I want you to pull that out and take a look. Here's what you're going to do for neighbor one. You're just going to contact them and get to know them a little bit. So here's their name, address, phone number, email, maybe some uh, family details, and what you're going to do is make a plan uh, to get to know them in a personal way. So we often talk about this, the bridge of intentionality. Intentionality is important to us. We use that word a lot. So it's one thing to know the Bible. It's another thing to do the Bible. It's another thing to know I should be reading the Bible on a daily basis. It's another thing to actually read the Bible on a daily basis. It's one thing to say I should be praying in my life. It's another thing entirely to actually be praying. So how do you get from know to do? Well, we talk about the bridge of intentionality. And that's really answering just two questions. What am I going to do? And when am I going to do it? Man, I should be reading my Bible every day. Okay, so what am I going to read? Psalms is great. John is great. Genesis is great. If you try to read through the Bible, have a Leviticus plan ready to go, because it's going to be tough when you get to Leviticus, all right? Um, so uh, what am I going to read? And then when am I going to read it? So I'm looking at my calendar. Hey, you know what? I can get up 15 minutes earlier every morning and read it then. That's a bridge of intentionality. I should be praying. What am I going to pray for? Do a prayer journal. There's your What? And when you're going to do it, plan a time to do it. It's really simple. So here is what we're going to do. So I need to get to know a neighbor. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to have them over for dinner. When am I going to do that? Next Tuesday. Uh, we're going to have a play date with Jimmy and his mom. Okay? When we're gonna, when, you get the idea. You write some things down. So on the bottom of that, here's some practical ideas. Have them over for dinner. Do a play date. Grab dinner out somewhere. Host a neighborhood barbecue. Lots of fun. Get your small group involved. Have them provide the food. 
then you know, a few of them can hang out and you get to know your neighbors and, and there's that. So that's, that is contact. Now here's care, because I believe this very firmly, that uh, you need to actually show acts of love to your neighbors. And they gotta know that you love them. And if you can build up a love for them by meeting practical needs, you're gonna win opportunities to share the gospel with them. So, so what are their biggest needs? I got neighbor one here. What are their biggest needs? I'm gonna list them out right now. God was so good to me that he gave, just really just put a layup when my neighbor called and said, hey, our car broke down. We need another vehicle. Can you help us? Okay, there's a need. So what are we going to do to help meet that need, and when are we going to do it? Man, that's going to take some resources, right? We already talked about that. Resources are, you're going to have to do that. Gospel ministry takes money, and we're going to put some money and some investment into that. So we're going we're gonna to care for them. Now, listen to me. Here's, here's the trick. Everyone look here. We're anti the uh, Francis of Assisi quote that said, uh, preach the gospel everywhere you go, and when necessary, open your mouth or use words. It's always necessary to use words. People aren't going to look at you and say, oh, he loaned me his car. Jesus must have died on the cross for my sins and rose again to pay for everything. And I'm just going to, it's how, it's how it works. They got to be taught. And so then we're going to communicate. Here's communicate. And... Um, there is an intentionality to preach the gospel. Now, in the back of this book, you have one of our, our discipleship booklets. This, uh, we included it here. It is how to share the gospel. So we've included that here. You can read that, and it'll teach you how to, to share the gospel with people, take you right through a way to bring a conversation from a secular conversation into a spiritual conversation, into a gospel presentation, into a personal invitation, into a follow-up discussion. It's, it's how we teach how to share the gospel. So check that out and read that, but you're going you're gonna to communicate the gospel. If you contact them, that's awesome. If you care for him, that's awesome. But the whole point is to get to the point where you can share Jesus Christ in the gospel. So let's do that. And then continue is we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep at it. We're going to get a plan to keep going until they know Christ. Does that all make sense? So again, listen, it's one thing to say, man, I should be preaching the gospel. I should be on this. It should be undaunted and getting on mission. Yeah, we all should be. But this is a way to do it, to make it practical. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I want you to right now think of somebody, one person that can go on your list. I got a couple in mind, but I'm going to focus on one guy right now. When you think about that one person, okay? Get them in your mind. If you got them in your mind, give me a thumbs up. Okay, all right. Take a few minutes, and let's just pray for them.